You're listening to Simply the Best Sports Take, the best podcast breaking down the best stuff in sports with host Sean Bingham. His takes are so good, he dropped the mic, but then you wouldn't be able to hear him, and that would suck. Welcome into STB Sports Takes, Simply the Best Sports Podcast. I am your host, Sean Bingham. Thank you for being here. We are on YouTube, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Anchor Podcasts, everywhere you get your podcasts, we are there. Please hit that subscribe button, whatever platform you are on. I genuinely appreciate it. Um, we got a lot to cover today. Uh, it's been a big week. Despite there not being any real football, we did have the Pro Bowl. We're going to talk about that. But we got on the agenda today, we've got the Pro Bowl. We've got the 30 for 30, the tuck rule. Amazing. Going to talk about that. Going to talk about Aaron Rodgers' future. Going to talk about the Super Bowl, my predictions, a little preview, and then some NBA observations. So let's start with the Pro Bowl. It's a joke. Uh, the Pro Bowl was yesterday. I don't know why they're even playing it anymore. It's an absolute disaster. You've got elite players from the past, like Deion Sanders, and some real like like elite Hall of Fame superstars from the past that are like embarrassed at the game. They're talking about it. They're tweeting about it. Um, it's become a total joke. And you know, you, you see a lot of this in the NBA too, right? You're seeing a lot of uh, the, the former greats being really like disappointed in how the, the new generation plays and how they don't have enough heart and they don't have they don't care enough. The passion isn't there, the toughness isn't there. And they're right. But a couple of you can take a couple of things away from this, right? Because you've got NFL superstars from the past and NBA superstars from the past, both kind of like, you know, getting after this younger generation. Um, and you can learn two things from it, or you can take away rather two things from it, and both of which are true. One, this younger generation, this rising generation, they are softer. They are less passionate. They are less tough. That is just a fact. What's also a fact, though, is that they're financially more savvy. Uh, their careers are lasting longer. We know a lot more about the injuries and things like that, and, and it's just not worth getting an injury in the Pro Bowl that could affect the rest of your career. Um, the longevity of their careers is greater. Um, the quality of life they live after their playing days is better, both financially and physically, because their bodies just don't take as big of a beating because they take time off when they need to. They rest in the Pro Bowl. They play basically two-hand touch. I mean, they weren't even playing the game. I, I don't know why they play the game. Um, I saw somebody tweet that they think it should be a flag football game, and then they played at full speed. I actually really like that idea. Um, that could be kind of a fun way to, a fun little twist on it. Um, we just know so much about injuries and about longevity and about the impact that your body has when it's just p- constantly being pounded like that, you know, on the football field. And so I don't blame these guys for not playing as hard, but I think both both takes are accurate, right? Like the old timers saying that these guys aren't, aren't tough enough, they're not passionate enough, it's all about the money. They're right. All of those things are true. Um, I don't think this generation is as, is as tough. I don't think they're as passionate. I don't think they play for the love of the game as much as they do um, for money. Well, at least not as much as the previous generations did, right? So I think all of those things are true. Um, so it, it says a lot you know, for good and for bad, and that's the bad. The good, of course, would be that they're smarter. They're playing for longevity um, and that higher quality of life, both physically and financially. So um, that's kind of my takeaway on the Pro Bowl. I think some of the funny little games they do uh, can be kind of fun. There's got to be a way, you know, Tyreek Hill wasn't even trying in the 40-yard dash. He's in a sweatsuit. It's like too cold, doesn't want to pull a hamstring. They've just got to do stuff to get people to want to try. Um, and I don't know, because th- that's why the flag football thing is kind of a good idea, in my opinion. Like, it could work. It could be kind of interesting to watch him play at full speed um, where they're not hitting. They don't have to worry about getting hit. 
could be kind of fun. Makes the defense not as fun, but they still, it's all about like reading the offense, speed, agility, stuff like that. But anyway, moving on from that. Last night, the latest ESPN 30 for 30 came out, the tuck rule. Um, and guys, this is amazing. If you are watching this podcast, listening to this podcast, you must like sports. You have to watch this 30 for 30, the tuck rule. For those that don't know, I'm going to I'm gonna recap it. I'm going to set the setting. Um, it, it's it's a, one of the most historic moments in the history of sports, like truly and sincerely one of the most historic moments in the history of sports. Um, for those that don't know, it's January 19th, 2002. It's the divisional round, so the second round of the playoffs, Patriots versus Raiders. Patriots are at home. It actually ended up being the final game at Foxborough Stadium. They, then the next season had Gillette Stadium they moved into. Um, so it was the last game ever played at Foxborough Stadium. And just to kind of give you some background here, right? Tom Brady is in his first year as a starter, but really he's, it's not even his first full year as a starter. He took over in this season for Drew Bledsoe, who got hurt, but it was like in the second game of the season. So he started most of the season. He's overachieving a little bit. They're, they're winning to the point that they're now in the second round of the playoffs. Um, and Drew Bledsoe's pretty much healthy at this point, but they're, they're saying, you know what? Tom's taken us this far. Let's let him keep going. But very important fact to, to note here, uh, Drew Bledsoe had just signed prior to that season, the largest contract in NFL history, a hundred million dollar contract. This is in, again, in 2001 this is the 2001 season. So a hundred million dollar contract. And so they are, the Patriots to say the least are heavily invested in Drew Bledsoe heavily invested. The chances of Tom Brady keeping his job without winning a Super Bowl that year are close to 0%, truly and sincerely. They just paid a guy $100 million who's a proven pro bowler, and now they've got this 199th pick coming off the bench to replace him only because he got hurt. So sure, Drew Bledsoe's healthy, but Tom Brady's on a very short leash. It's like, okay, you got us to the playoffs, you're on a very short leash. If they don't win the Super Bowl, Tom Brady's not going to be the starter the next year. He's not. They just paid Drew Bledsoe $100 million. So now we're in the second round of the playoffs, right? They are facing the Raiders who have Charles Woodson. Charles Woodson is in his fourth season. Tom Brady's in his second, but they went to college together. They played at Michigan together. Charles Woodson uh, was the fourth overall pick in 98. Tom Brady's the 199th pick overall in in 2000. Um, And his junior year, Charles Woodson won the Heisman Trophy for the best college football player in the country and won the national championship at Michigan. The guy is a winner. He is far and away the the more popular, the more well-known, the more established star in the NFL. Like he is he is up here, Tom Brady is down here at this point in time, right? Um he's gone to four consecutive Pro Bowls, won defensive rookie of the year. Uh, meanwhile, in that time frame, Tom Brady fought for a starting job at Michigan and is now f- fighting for his life to cling to a starting job in the NFL, right? So that's the guy kind of sets the table a little bit for the background. There's an absolute blizzard going on, like, like a true sincere blizzard, like inches are piling up on the field. Um, and it's just one of those games, right? So the 30 for 30 has the two of them and the most, you know, the, the play that happened, and I'm going to get into all of this, but. The play that happened is Charles Woodson sacking Tom Brady, strip sack, uh, that was then ruled an incomplete pass. Very controversial call. And so it's Charles Woodson, Michigan teammate, sacking Tom Brady, Michigan teammate. Um, 
for a game ceiling strip sack that the call is reversed. Um, Patriots, of course, go on to win the game. And Tom Brady goes on to win the Super Bowl and the rest is history, right? So they've got these two guys sitting in the same room talking about it, recapping the the day. They've got interviews with all of these uh, different players on both teams. They even got Belichick to sit down and do the interview. I mean, when was the last time you saw Belichick participate in one of these? So Bill Belichick sits down. He's interviewed. Robert Kraft is there. They even have the official who made the call reversal. They've got him interviewed. It's it's one of the best 30 for 30s I've ever seen. Um but the, the, the reason it's such a pivotal point in NFL history is that if that call does not get overturned, Tom Brady does not win a Super Bowl that year. He does not start the next year for the New England Patriots. And the dynasty that we saw probably never happens. That is a fact. Tom Brady would have gone somewhere else. He had proven he was worthy of being a starter, but are they going to start him over Drew Bledsoe, $100 million? They'd be like, hey, you know what? Thanks, Tommy Boy. Pat him on the back. Appreciate you getting us to the playoffs. Now we know if Drew had been there, we probably could have won it all. You know, that's what they would have thought. They would have thought wrong, um, but that's what they would have thought. They'd already invested in him, and Tom Brady was not the Tom Brady we know now yet. Not even close. But here's the here's what happens. So it's thirteen to three for the Raiders in the fourth quarter. Blizzard, horrible conditions, right? Um, and the Pats decide to start throwing the ball more and more. They decide, you know what, running the ball is not working. It's too slow. We should pass it. Um, Tom Brady talks about how in those conditions, it's actually a quarterback to a quarterback's advantage because his mind works at regular speed, but the defense's uh, feet work at slower speeds. And so he's able to process things just as quickly as always, while they can't do their job as quickly as always. So a very interesting uh, insight from him, but it's 13-3 Raiders late in the fourth quarter. Well, in the fourth quarter, they decide to start throwing the ball. Patriots do. Tom Brady has a drive where I think he went like 9 for 9 for 60-something yards on the drive, and he finishes the drive off with a short run for a touchdown. So now it's 13-10. A few minutes go by, they get the ball back. Now we're down to like two-minute warning type stuff, right? And um, they run a play to the sideline, to uh, the Patriots' sideline. Tom Brady's over there. And as he's getting back up, he, he so he ran. Tom Brady runs um, on like kind of a broken play to his own sideline, gets a few yards, whatever, gets out of bounds. And as he's over there, he's talking to Charlie Weiss, the offensive coordinator, and one of the other DBs, one of the other corners opposite Charles Woodson, he overhears uh, Charlie Weiss and Tom Brady talking and the play that's going to be called on the next play. So he runs back to his huddle, tells them exactly what play is going to happen, and it did. And so there were three receivers, trips right, so three receivers over on Woodson's side. He defends all three of them, you know, technically by himself, so it appears, because they knew that the ball was going to the left. They had safeties moved over and stuff, but they knew the ball was going to the left because that's the play that they heard you know, mentioned. Now, Tom Brady's only in his second year. First year as a starter in the NFL, he's not as smart as the Tom Brady we know now. So he is literally just staring to the left. Charles Woodson comes blitzing in off the, um, off the right side, and um, just as Tom Brady goes for a pump fake, He's clearly pulling the ball back in from a pump fake. He has chosen, I'm not throwing the ball, I'm pulling it back in. But before he actually pulls it back in, boom, Woodson hits him, strip sack. Raiders recover the ball. It's ruled a fumble on the field, and it looks like the game is over. They can just kneel it down, and the game's over. They go to review it, and they come back and overturn it. Everybody's just, what? Like, just mind-boggling stuff. Like, he's clearly 
has chosen to not throw. It's not like he's throwing, like his, his arm is coming forward, but it's coming forward as in it's now coming down towards his body to, to bring it back into his other hand and tuck it in. But he hasn't quite gotten there yet. So they overturn it. Well, we learn about this rule called the tuck rule. And the tuck rule, which has since been abolished from the NFL, it took another 10 years or so before they got rid of the rule. But at the time, the rule was, if a quarterback is in a purposeful forward-throwing motion until he has brought the ball back and tucked it against his body, it would be ruled an incomplete pass. That was the rule. And so a lot of people out there hate on this play of Tom Brady, hate on this moment, and act like somehow the Patriots got favoritism. I'm sorry, if you read the rule book and you watch the play, it was the right call. It just was. It's a stupid rule, and they did eventually get rid of it. We, I think we can all agree on that. But that was the rule. And Bill, they all were like, I'd never heard of the tuck rule. I've never heard of the tuck rule. All these players. Well, Bill Belichick knew about the tuck rule. So he, he says, so he says, and I do think he's a, you know the ultimate student of the game. He says he watched the replay and was like, oh, no, this is our ball. We're getting this ball back. Um, because he knew that Brady had not tucked it back against his body yet. And he hadn't. He clearly had not. He had not even brought it into his left hand yet. He was. It was still in his one arm from a potential pump fake being brought back. He never did eventually uh, get it back before he was hit by Woodson. He was milliseconds away, though. Literally milliseconds away from from tucking it in to where it would have been a fumble. But because he hadn't gotten there yet, the referee comes out, overturns the call, incomplete pass, and now it's just second and ten. Instead of it being Raiders ball, kneel it out to, to win the game and move on to the AFC Championship, now it's like they're all discombobulated, frustrated, angry. Um, and they give up a, another you know chunk of yards. Vinatieri kicks an incredible field goal in the blizzard with like snow all around. Like they have to clear clear out a spot to like place the ball. Um, really like kind of a line driver kick through the snow. Uh, it's pretty pretty long. She's like a forty five yarder, I think. Kicks the field goal to tie it. Goes into overtime. Patriots win the coin toss. The rest is history. Um, they win the game uh, on another field goal and move on, you know go on to win the Super Bowl. And Tom Brady never looks back. Drew Bledsoe's not there the next year. Tom Brady wins two more in the next like three three years after that. So he wins. I think they win three out of four. Um, has like a ten year gap where he doesn't win, but they have the sixteen and zero season. They have all these record breaking things. Uh, they make it to a couple Super Bowls, but lose them to the Giants. And then they he goes and wins three more at the end of his Patriots time. So in twenty year span with the Patriots, he wins six Super Bowls. Goes to. Uh, I think it was nine, right? And then he went to it. So yeah, because he lost a third one to the to the Eagles late, and then he um, goes, of course, to Tampa Bay and wins the seventh. So he's been now to ten, but nine of them were in that twenty year span. He went to nine freaking Super Bowls, um, and uh, won six of them in with the Patriots. He was six and three in the Super Bowl with the Patriots, and then one and zero, of course, with the Buccaneers. So all of that happens after the Tuck Rule after the strip sack is ruled an incomplete pass and the Patriots have a new life where they're allowed another chance to win. They didn't win the game on that play, but they didn't lose it. And it, and the call on the field was they lost the game and it was overturned, giving them new life. And Tom Brady has his first ever epic comeback down 13-3 in the fourth quarter, wins that game, goes on to win the Super Bowl. You get the idea. Amazing, amazing documentary. Um, loved watching Charles Woodson and Tom Brady talk through all this. And I know I just 
gave you a very hearty recap, but there is no question you should go watch it. You'll learn so much more, and it's so entertaining to watch them. Tom Brady's house, by the way, in Tampa, that's where the setting is, where they're sitting and talking. It's unbelievable. It's its like the mansion of mansions. I could not believe it. Um, incredible, incredible house. So, yeah, very fun to watch. Charles Woodson went on to win a Super Bowl with the, with the Packers, but they talk about like how the trajectory of their careers would have changed so much you know, had things happened differently. And there's no question with Tom Brady's it would have. There's no question. That that dynasty doesn't happen. The the pairing of Belichick and Brady was so critical to winning those six Super Bowls. And there's a very, very high chance that pairing doesn't happen for the next 19 seasons or next 18 seasons after that if they lose that game. Because I think you see Drew Bledsoe as the starter and then Tom Brady goes and just gets traded away or just goes elsewhere because he's viewed as a starter in the league. Um, crazy, crazy, crazy moments in NFL history. And the fact that they were teammates in college, like there's so many things that make it one of the most historical plays of all time. So much controversy around the call. Yet if you read the rule book and watch the play, it was the right call. It was just a stupid rule that hadn't been changed yet. So go watch it. It's amazing. Okay. Now into my Super Bowl predictions and, and preview. Um, I said last week that uh, my early money and early gut feeling was the Rams. I'm definitely sticking with that for several reasons. Um, one is the offensive line of the Bengals. They are not that great. They gave up 51 sacks. That could be a combination of the O-line and Joe Burrow just not making quick, you know, correct decisions, holding on to the ball too much, not getting rid of it, maybe not running uh, when he should. But usually it's just you're holding on to the ball too long, right? So 51 sacks. That's how many times Joe Burrow was sacked this season. 51 times. That led the league. It was the most in the NFL um, by several sacks. Nobody else, you know, well, the next highest with Ryan Tannehill with 47. But still, by several sacks, he was sacked the most, okay? Um, so that's very, very bad. Well, on the flip side of that, you've got one of the best defenses. You've got Aaron Donald. You've got Von Miller. You've got uh, something Floyd. I can't remember his name, but he's actually probably better than Von Miller. Just doesn't have the, the name and clout behind him yet. But um, you've got Jalen Ramsey, right? They sacked the quarterback 50 times, which is third most in the NFL. So huge, huge mismatch here, offensive line, defensive line. Like, I think you're going to see the Bengals struggle to protect Burrow. He's going to be constantly hurried. I'm not saying they're going to go rack up nine sacks like happened to the Bengals the other, you know, a couple weeks ago. But I do think you're going to see Burrow in a constant hurry now he's proven he can get some things done with his feet maybe that changes things a little bit um but i think you're going to see a huge mismatch there offensive line defensive line heavily favoring the rams again third most sacks in the league was by the rams defense first most sacks given up by an offensive line and quarterback was the Bengals. not a good combination if you're a Bengals fan so that's a huge deal um secondly the rams were just here three years ago they lost 13-3 to to Tom Brady and the Patriots, lowest scoring Super Bowl of all time. That stings. A lot of those players are still there. Um, the head coach certainly is still there. He learned a lot. So much, like, it, there's nothing, what do I always say? You can't fake experience. You cannot fake life experience. You can't fake it. You can't, you can be, you know, wise beyond your years, talented beyond your years, mature beyond your years, whatever it might be, but you can't teach or fake real life experience. And so the, the Rams have been there. Their head coach has been there. He learned the hard way, um, what it, how hard it is to get to a Super Bowl and then how, how bad it hurts to lose one. So players the same way. So I think you've got a lot 
of experience in favor of the Rams. You've got an offensive line, defensive line mismatch in favor of the Rams. I think you've got an overall talent level slightly in favor of the Rams. Um, then you've got home field. The game's at SoFi. The game is in LA. So they're sleeping in their home beds. They're they're in, they're at they're at totally at home this entire two weeks leading up to the game, in their same film studies rooms and sessions. Um, I'm assuming they're going to have their own locker room for the game. Uh, the majority of the people there will be their fans. It's their home field. I mean, as a basketball guy myself, I've played basketball a lot more. This maybe could be a difference. I don't know. But to me, like, there's courts that you're used to playing on. And oftentimes it's just the backdrop of the hoop, right? So what's behind the hoop? I remember the first time I played in uh, the Huntsman Center, which is the University of Utah arena. We had a, you know, high school basketball playoffs were, were there once you made it, you know, to a certain round. And, like, the depth perception behind the hoop compared to a high school gym was so different that, like, my first several shots were just way off. Um, and then you kind of slowly get used to it. But, like, I'm sure the same thing exists on a football field. There's home field advantage on all these things. The home locker room, the home field itself, the home stadium, how it feels, where you're looking at the clock, all these different things. Um, your your routine that you're in with your family and friends and whatnot um, all that stuff, the fans, I mean, I'm, you know, so huge advantage to the Rams there as well. So I just feel like the Rams have like advantage after advantage after advantage experience, the, the O-line, D-line mismatch, and then home field. And I would say talent as well. So I think the Rams win this game for sure. Um, the line is at four and a half and that's a reasonable line. Cause they'd have to win by, you know, they'd have to win by a touchdown essentially at that point. Um, but I still think I'd put money on the Rams, even on the money line. I think I'd still say the Rams will cover the spread and win by five plus. But we will see. I'm hoping for a good game. I actually head up to Canada. I do this annual snowboarding trip up there every year around this time, second week of February. And I'm kind of bummed that the Super Bowl has been pushed back a week because now I might frequently miss the Super Bowl due to uh, this trip I go on every year. But it's backcountry snowboarding. It's unbelievable. It's called Bald Face Lodge. If you're into snowboarding, check it out on Instagram at Baldface Lodge. It's literally like incredible. But anyway, so I'll be gone. I'll have to watch the Super Bowl up there, which will be fun. But that's my prediction there. I think the Rams win. Um, but Joe Burrow's the real deal. I'll be rooting for him, and I'm just rooting for a good game. Okay, next topic here: AFC NFC. Where should Aaron Rodgers go? There's talk of him retiring. Is he going to retire? Is he not going to retire? Um, he's not going to retire, and he absolutely shouldn't retire. And you look at like. LeBron James dominated the East forever, right? Because the East was so weak. Aaron Rodgers has that exact same opportunity right now with the NFC. Tom Brady just left. And you look at the NFC uh, team and quarterback pairings compared to AFC team and quarterback pairings. The AFC has the Chiefs and Patrick Mahomes, the Bills and Josh Allen, the Bengals and Joe Burrow, um, the Chargers and Justin Herbert, the Ravens and Lamar Jackson, those are five stud quarterbacks on really good teams that are all young. I'm sorry, I would not want I would I would want no part of the AFC if I was an aging quarterback like Aaron Rodgers. No part of it. The NFC on the flip side really just has Rams this Rams team with with Stafford. Stafford's really good, the Rams are really good. They're not any of those teams I just mentioned. Um maybe maybe like a Lamar Jackson. But or maybe even a Burrow, but like they're not Josh Allen, they're not Patrick Mahomes. I would say not Justin Herbert. And Stafford's old. He's old. All those guys, those five guys, they're all young. 
They're all as talented or more talented than him, and they're younger. So we don't know how much longer Stafford's going to be able to play at this level. And he's the only guy. Some would argue the Cowboys and Prescott, I'm not one of those people. I would say absolutely not, not to worry about them. Um, I mean, who are the next best quarterbacks in the NFC? Russell Wilson and the Seahawks, they stink. Kirk Cousins and the Vikings, they stink. Like, there's no real threats in the NFC. Aaron Rodgers absolutely should stay in the NFC. I think he should stay with Green Bay, try and win another Super Bowl. His best chances in the, is in the NFC with Tom Brady now finally gone, Drew Brees gone. Um, this is his chance. This is his chance to win. And he kind of blew it this year, obviously, but um, that's what he's got to do. He's got to stay because the AFC is stacked with young studs at quarterback on really, really good teams. That's a freaking gauntlet to try and get through that. So there's an argument out there like who's got more pressure on them to win this game? Is it Stafford, who's the aging quarterback, finally in his first you know, in his first Super Bowl after so many years in Detroit? Um, or is it Burrow, who's only in his second year? We think we'll probably see him back here a bunch, but you never freaking know, especially when you've got Josh Allen, Patrick Mahomes, Justin Herbert, Lamar Jackson type guys in your conference year after year. Um, I still would put more pressure on Stafford because they're favored, they're at home, he's old, he's waited his you know decade plus to get here. I put more pressure there, but that shows that that fact that that argument is being made shows just how hard it is in the AFC right now. So Aaron Rodgers, stick in the NFC, stay in the league, try and get one more. You've only got freaking one Super Bowl. You can't be like this all-time great truly and only have one Super Bowl as a quarterback. It's just you're going to be like in the Dan Marino category, not in the Tom Brady, Joe Montana category. So that's my take there. Last thing, going to wrap up with this, just an interesting observation with the NBA I wanted to mention. Um, we had these super teams, the Nets, the Clippers, the Lakers, right, that got formed. The Nets go and get Kevin Durant, James Harden, Kyrie Irving. The Lakers go get LeBron James, Anthony Davis, Russell Westbrook. The Clippers go and get Kawhi Leonard, Paul George. It just looks like, man, those three teams are going to run away with the league. Nobody has a chance against those three teams. Last year, none of those three teams won the title. This year, I don't think any of those three teams are going to win the title. Maybe. Maybe the Nets. Maybe. But at the top of the standings right now in the Eastern Conference are the Bulls and the Heat. The Chicago Bulls. What? The Bulls and the Heat. Okay? In the West, it's the Phoenix Suns. It's not the Lakers. It's not the Clippers. It's not the Nets. It's the Bulls, Heat, Suns, and, and the Warriors are in second in the West. That's who's dominating the league right now. So these super teams, especially when they're kind of aging super teams, they're proving to not be that great, to not be that super. We'll see what happens come playoff time, but that's a very interesting observation I had that these three teams that we all thought had formed these unfair teams, these unfair advantages, these super teams that were going to ruin the league and its parity, actually they're not that super at all after all. Not that super at all. The Bucks won last year against the Suns, and this year... It's kind of those same teams fighting for it uh, in both conferences with the Bulls as a very surprising, uh, you know, currently they're half game behind the Heat for first place in the East. So that's my take there. Happy to see Donovan Mitchell back. Happy to see Rudy Gobert come back. Uh, Coach Snyder, the Jazz have been reeling a little bit. They can pull it together. I think they'll probably finish third in the West is going to be my guess, but we'll see. Guys, that's all the time I have for today. I will try and do a podcast next week from Baldface Lodge. If not, I'll see you in a couple weeks, but please hit that subscribe button. I am out. Thanks for hanging with Simply the Best Sports Take. Don't forget to subscribe to this podcast and check out stbsportstake.com. Simply the best in sports. You're the
Sweet.